0: How can I know God is real? What does the Bible say about politics? Why does a good God allow suffering? If you have questions about faith, life or culture, don't be afraid to ask. This This is is Ask with David Dean. G'day everyone, Dave Dean here and our question for the week is, is Name It and Claim It teaching biblical? Name It and Claim It teaching, also known as the Word of Faith movement or prosperity gospel, is a phrase used in reference to popular teachings by some tele faith healers, and other various charismatic and Pentecostal preachers. The basic idea behind name it and claim it is positive confession. Now, in the culture, more broadly, the idea of the power of positive thinking has been very influential, and that's because, in part, there is some truth, some value, some real tangible benefits that have been shown in the psychological literature about how Having a positive mindset can help personal self-esteem, productivity, lower stress, and improve overall well-being. Personal psychology, therefore, does affect our thinking and, and our brain chemistry, and to some degree, the thinking and brain chemistry of others in how they in turn perceive us. But that's about the extent of how far positive thinking can reach out into reality, at the end of the day, thoughts cannot directly change facts about reality. You know, thinking about holding in your hand two fifty dollars notes does not make them appear in your hand. But unfortunately, within the church, as within the culture, there has been an overreach here in the power of positive thinking. As one meme reads, Believe you deserve it and the universe will serve it. Hashtag positive vibe tribe. Of course, the negative flip side to this is, if anyone or anything brings negativity into your life, your desires, your sense of well-being, then just cut them out. Block them, like you would on Facebook. After all, who wants to be around a negative Nancy, right? A vibe killer? No one. People gravitate towards positivity like a moth to a flame, and if you can package that kind of pop psychology up and hand it out with all the authority of God himself, well, friend, you're going to be a rich man or a rich woman. I mean, it is far easier to sell the view that God is your personal servant rather than God is the sovereign master of your life. And to be blunt, that's precisely what is happening with the so-called Name It and Claim It teaching or Word of Faith movement. Now, I'm about to mention the names of some teachers of this movement, and I want to be clear that my intent here is not to personally attack these people. I don't know them personally to do so. I simply want to present their views in their own voices. So with that, listen to this from well-known Name It and Claim It teacher, Kenneth Copeland. In his booklet, How You Call It Is How It Will Be, Copeland writes, quote, You can have what you say. In fact, what you are saying is exactly what you are getting now. If you are living in poverty and lack and want, change what you are saying. It will change what you have. Discipline your vocabulary, end quote. Another example can be found in the teachings of a wildly popular Word of Faith preacher, Joel Osteen. He has said, quote, Our words have creative power. Whenever we speak something, either good or bad, we give life to what we are saying, end quote. And as an example of this, he goes on to say, if I say flu season is coming, I'll probably catch it. Can you hear what's been said here by Copeland and Osteen? Within a Christian religious context, this cultural idea of positive confession, it gets connected to Christian faith in such a way that faith becomes more like a Star Wars force, bending reality by immutable spiritual laws through the agency of thoughts and spoken words, rather than complete trust and confidence in Jesus. Now, there's clearly a lot going on in all of this, and I have spoken about the idea of faith and the connection between faith and personal healing in previous episodes. In this episode, what I want to do is dive a little deeper into the Name It and Claim It movement itself. Is Name It and Claim It teaching biblical? As this is a question about the origin of the teaching, I'll briefly sketch the history of the movement before considering a few Bible passages, specifically Mark 11, 22 to 23, that Word of Faith teachers have used to support their position. So first, a brief history of the movement. The roots of name it and claim it teaching, or the word of faith movement, can be traced back through the faith cure movement of the 19th century and beyond into the teachings of Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, an American exponent of mental healing who is generally regarded as the founder of the New Thought movement, which uh, itself has since splintered into various mind healing and science cults such as Christian science, uh, religious science and the Unity School of Christianity. That term, new thought, basically became a, a way of summarizing the collective ideas that have emerged from these groups, ideas which drew on various Christian transcendental Hindu and Buddhist traditions, revolving around a core idea that God is some sort of infinite intelligence that we can more or less tap into. Quimby taught that you know if you're sick, you just need to tap into the divine intelligence and affirm your health, and it will be so. Well, later on in the first half of the 20th century, a man named Essex William Kenyon developed the teachings of Quimby, sanitizing the concept of power of mind into more religiously appealing terminology like the force of faith. And he went on to emphasize amongst other things that God created the universe by speaking words so we can speak those words. And by this positive confession of speaking the words that God spoke at creation, we can overcome realities such as sickness and poverty in the same way that he created reality when he said, let there be light and there was light. Kenyon is responsible for much of the word-faith terminology we know today and he's sometimes dubbed the grandfather of the movement because his influence can be seen today throughout many of the popular teachers. For example, listen to this again from Kenneth Copeland. Quote, Like it or not, this is a word-centered, word-controlled universe. God established it that way from the very beginning. He set the whole system in motion by speaking into the darkness and saying, light be and light was. We can operate God's way. Instead of trying to change things with natural thought and energy, we have the right and the ability to change them the way he does, with supernatural thinking and supernatural energy. We can release his power in our lives and in the world around us with the words of our mouths, end quote. So that's a brief whistle-stop tour of the historical roots of the name-it-and-claim-it teaching, but is it biblical? I mean, there's all sorts of religious and quasi-spiritual traditions mixed up in this, but... Hey, Copeland and Co., they are citing the Bible to make their case, so is this biblical? Well, even the devil used scripture in Matthew chapter 4 when he spoke to Jesus, so let's not be too quick to assume that because somebody appeals to scripture that what they're saying is true and biblical. Let's move now from the history to what the scriptures actually have to say in their context. Kenneth Copeland is correct when he says that in the beginning God spoke creation into existence, but that's about all he is correct on. We read again and again in Genesis, and God said, and God said, and later on in the New Testament, John 1-3 tells us plainly that all these things that God spoke into existence were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that has come into being. But when Copeland and his ilk say that God's speaking creation into being is something that you and I can do in faith, just like he does, they're wrong on at least two accounts, First, consider the logic of God does it, therefore we can do it. John four twenty four says, God is spirit. In Isaiah 55, 8, the Lord himself says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, while we are made in the image of God, we are not God. And therefore, this logic that we can do things as he does simply does not follow. It's a non sequitur. This idea of Christians being little g gods, by the way, it's it's actually a heretical teaching that spins off out of this movement. It's known as the Manifest Sons of Gods movement. God is God; we are not. And not only is there no reason to assume otherwise, it actually defies reason to assume otherwise. God is by his very nature uncreated. You and I did not choose to be born. You did not ask your mother to be conceived. So it is both a logical and an actual impossibility for you and I to outgrow our creatureliness and become as God in this sense. Or to come in it from the perspective of God, if we can speak as God speaks, what does that even mean? Are we supposing that when God spoke in the beginning, and God said, and God said, that he was speaking with a physical voice box? There is no question that the word said means something real in Genesis. But that something is real of God who speaks it, not us. I mean, this much was understood well over a thousand years ago in the fourth century by theologian Basil the Great, who wrote, quote, when we speak of a voice and a word and a command with reference to God, we mean the divine word, not a sound sent out through phonetic organs, end quote. And this is borne out in the New Testament references to creation itself, such as John 1, 1, Hebrews 1, 3, 11, chapter 3, and so on, where the emphasis in each context on creation isn't with respect to the days of creation or or anything like that, the emphasis is laid on the creative and organizational fiat of God's spoken word. God, who is the word, is primary in creating and sustaining creation. That is to say, God's word is creative and constitutive of existence. Existence which includes your existence and my existence. So contrary to Kenneth Copeland and other Word of Faith preachers, this idea of God speaking creation into reality has nothing, nothing to do with you and I speaking, and therefore nothing to do with whatever we may name or claim about reality. To my mind, this is a rather obvious error, and it's also a very significant one because it's frankly idolatrous. To believe you can speak as God is to assume you are God, which begs the question, who do you really worship? You see, this is the danger of name it and claim it teaching. It's destructive. It promotes faith in faith, not faith in God, and that mistake is not trivial. As another early church father, Augustine wrote, Idolatry is worshipping anything that was meant to be used, or using anything that was meant to be worshipped. That's precisely what the likes of Kenneth Copeland and others are doing with this teaching, by taking the biblical idea of faith in a trustworthy, holy and sovereign God and replacing it with faith in what we essentially want. Little wonder, really, why there is so much narcissism today, both in the culture but also in the church. I mean, if we actually condition a culture, a church culture, to to take this advice that the entire universe revolves around us without guardrails, then not only do we get people to feel good about ignoring the hard truths they don't like, we also get people who are increasingly self-centered and self-absorbed. We see this right across the spectrum today. I mean, just take one hot point in the culture. Abortion. Should a woman get pregnant, it's no longer the facts of who's grown inside her. It's, It's all about how they feel, which determines who or what is growing inside her. If the baby is killed by her choice, it's called an abortion, and there are laws protecting the right for the mother to do that. But if the baby is killed by another person, it's called either manslaughter or murder, depending on the circumstances. And we, again, have laws this time to prosecute a crime instead of protecting the mother's choice. You see, this is the kind of fallacious, contradictory, confused logic that flows forth from the name it and claim it logic of God does it, therefore we can do it. And it's not benign. It is destructive. There is a way that seems right to man, but his way ends in death. We read in Proverbs not only that, it's completely unbiblical. This is the second problem. There is simply nothing in the Bible to suggest God's speaking creation into being was or is an act of faith. Leaving aside the idea that God has faith in any sense like we do, which is, again, not a biblical idea, this is where it gets a little bit more interesting. Naaman and claimant teachers or word of faith preachers have tried to justify this idea of harnessing God's faith by appealing to passages such as Mark eleven twenty two to 24, In this passage, we see Jesus walking and talking with his disciples when they come to pass a withered fig tree. And taking another opportunity, he stops to say, quote, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. End quote. Word of faith preachers have tried to argue that the phrase have faith in God means have God's faith. In other words, they interpret this as not having faith in God but having the faith of God. So harness that faith and that is the way you change reality. You can alter creation. You can say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and it will be done. This is the kind of God faith Kenneth Copeland has already told us is what spoke creation into being when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it can be yours. Well, again, there's a problem here because that's not what the Bible is saying at all. It is true that the words in the original Greek making up this phrase, have faith in God, can be transliterated as something like, have faith of God. But as any competent scholar of New Testament Greek will note, the grammatical construction of the phrase does not have God as the one subject possessing faith, as though Jesus is suggesting we should harness the faith that is God's. Mark 11.22 contains what is called an objective genitive, meaning God is the object of faith. Hence the reason in English we translate it as have faith in God, not have the faith of God. But not only do word of faith or name it and claim it, teachers and preachers misinterpret the original Greek New Testament, they seem to miss the significance of this teaching within the immediate context and the broader context of Mark itself. I encourage anyone listening to this episode to go on and read Mark chapter 11 and its surrounding chapters to see for yourself. Jesus is clearly not teaching his disciples to harness the power of God's faith. He is teaching them about having faith in God when they pray to him. In fact, if we just keep on reading, we will see a direct counterpoint to the entire naming and claimant teaching. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, where we see Jesus, hours before his arrest and crucifixion, kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This prayer of Jesus strikes right against the likes of Kenneth Copeland. The assumption of getting our own way, which lies at the root controlling the entire premise of the name and claim it teaching, is at complete odds with what Jesus has here said in this prayer. Prayer is not about making our earthly will known in heaven. It's about God's will becoming known here on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we have Jesus himself teaching us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Indeed, this entire idea here dovetails back to what we have already considered concerning God's word in the New Testament. John 15:7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. What Jesus is saying is if his word, his will abides in you, then his word, his will will govern how you formulate your desires, your thoughts, your speech, your prayers such that you will be living and praying in alignment with his will that will come to manifest in the reality of your life. That is biblical prayer. You see, the principal issue here with name it and claim it teaching isn't with the first half of the phrase, name it. It's with the hubris of the second half of the phrase, claim it. Paul wrote to the Philippians that we should name our requests to God. But more than that, he tells us how. Philippians 4, six: be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So friends, don't name it and claim it. Name it with supplication and thanksgiving. That is earnest humility postured by gratitude. And faith, your faith, it comes in not as a Star Wars force but as the trust and confidence you have in the person and work of who it is that you're praying to and what he has secured for you and I in the forgiveness of sins, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your piety, regardless of your poverty. Because the truth is, the God who wills to move the mountain does not always will to take away the cup. Those who belong to Jesus' true family do the will of God, whether it involves miracles or suffering, because faith, true biblical faith in the person and promises of Jesus— Provides a peace unlike anything this world can offer, with an assurance of hope in the life to come. So, look, no matter how much we want to dress up our words with spiritual garb, faith in God is not measured and evaluated from the standpoint of personal satisfaction. Christian faith consists of abiding in Christ as He affects His will in and through our lives. 1 John 5:14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So to wrap all of this up, is name it and claim it teaching biblical? History says no. The Bible says no. And so should you. While there is a place for a kind of positive confession, the name it and claim it teaching or word of faith movement we have considered here is a complete distortion of plain biblical teachings about God, humanity, and our relationship to him and the world around us. The best antidote to the word of faith espoused by Kenneth Copeland is the word of God. He is the holy one in whom we live and move and have our being. We are in his power not he in ours, and the whole world should respond to that reality. Amen. Do you have a question about Christian beliefs, theology, doctrine, philosophy or culture? Don't be afraid to ask. Go to drcdean.com forward slash ask. That's Dean with an E.